The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hey Giants, Ram here. Welcome to episode number 83. If this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Ram Castillo and this podcast explores the decision-making of people who have been exposed and have proven experience at a world-class level of specialization. It is my deep belief that giant living requires giant thinking And if you resonate with that, you might enjoy the portfolio of guests we've had on the show from Kelly Slater to multiple Shark Tank investors to gold medalist Olympians to musicians, designers, creatives, founders, and leaders of all types from organizations such as Nike, Deloitte, Visa, Squarespace, WordPress, Creative Live, VaynerMedia, and even the White House. Now, for those that have been a long-time dedicated listener, Firstly, I'd like to apologize for the radio silence. I took a year off the podcast grid straight up without any announcement. I just needed a break, which in hindsight, I definitely could have managed and communicated and planned better. But this time gave me the space to untangle and to recalibrate. It gave me a new set of eyes and a new vantage point. It helped me refine what's important who I wanted to serve and how best for now uh, to do it. I want to serve entrepreneurs and business owners, whether you're a designer or in the creative industry or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you have a vision for a better world through your contribution, through your product, through your service. And I want to give you access to people, places, tools, and knowledge to help you cut the guesswork see the blind spots and succeed faster. So on that note, regarding the Giant Thinkers podcast, it will now be eight curated episodes per year. An eight episode season will run from October to November each year. And my intention is for it to be of the highest quality in storytelling, in thinking, in diversity, in vulnerability, and of course, in practicality. So I've been doing this since 2015 and to kick off for 2021 season seven, this episode is a solo piece. I recently delivered and recorded this talk for Breakfast with Champions. It's a club on Clubhouse. Clubhouse, by the way, is a voice-based social app and the keynote style talk I delivered was a topic that is really close to my heart. It covers wealth, wisdom, and well-being. My position was that being rich doesn't necessarily mean being wealthy. Being wealthy could actually mean acquiring internal treasures for external change. That wealth accumulation is in the overcoming. So if you're someone that's interested in hearing about my very personal journey and the seven key tips for attaining my version of true wealth, then this episode is for you. 
Now, a quick note from me, if we aren't connected yet on Instagram, I invite you to follow me on my handle, The Giant Thinker, as I share daily posts and stories on helping decision makers, business owners, and leaders get unstuck lightning fast through human-centered design methodologies, creative strategies, digital marketing, and branding. Send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And you can find me again on my handle, The Giant Thinker. Alrighty, let's get stuck in. I present to you, me. <laughs> Enjoy. I have been reflecting on this topic um, under the wealth, wisdom, well-being uh, genre for the last two weeks uh, since Sarah invited me. And I promised myself to leave a piece of me on this virtual stage in the hope that you might find a piece of yourself in my journey as well. Now, the direction I wanted to go is best summarized by a quote by Edward Wilson, who said that the world is drowning in information while starving for wisdom. And so there's a lot of sophisticated people on this stage and on this app and in the audience. And I really just wanted to share the, the journey and what I learned from that journey rather than go go tactical, um, because I feel that that's where I feel like I can make the most impact. So by all means, feel free to write any notes or questions that might arise for you, as I'd like to leave a bit of time for Q&A if possible. So I'll kick off with this invitation. I'd like you to explore this worldview, that being rich doesn't necessarily mean being wealthy. Being wealthy could mean acquiring internal treasures for external change. And by that, I mean that the wealth accumulation is in the overcoming. Because every time we overcome, we earn another coin. That earning could look like we earn more patience. We earn more resilience. We earn more humility, creativity, courage, generosity. And I did a big talk on this in, in Australia um, on the notion that it's not for us to necessarily aim to make a million dollars, but rather to help a million people. And the irony being that the money will come when we put people over profit. Now, this isn't a new concept by any means. So I'm going to dive into a bit of my journey and the lessons learned. To, to connect some of these concepts that I've come to, to learn. My dad's one of 11. He's originally from the Philippines, as, as my mum is too. And my dad's father passed away when he was only a three-year-old kid. His mum passed away when he was in university uh, at around 18, 19. And growing up for them, they would only have a tablespoon of peanut butter um, and, and a little bit of bread to share. And so I grew up seeing the world through that lens of wow, that, that's a close shave. I could have lived that life. My mum, she's one of five, and her mum was really the one that raised all five because my mum's dad, my grandfather, he was in the military in the Philippines and he wasn't really around. And when he was, he was quite abusive. He was a womanizer and a bit of an alcoholic. And so my mum was the ultimate, my mum's mum was the ultimate entrepreneur. She had a little corner store. She had a sewing machine and she would make do. And I'm sharing this because when we got to Australia, I was only a one-year-old baby and my dad used education 
uh, as a way to get out. And for context, right, Philippines is has over 100 million people. Australia has 25 million. And so we're talking about a country of um, four times as many people than Australia. Anyway, America is even more um, with three times less space. And so I knew I had the luck of the draw or something. I knew that something was really special about the place that I was living in. Because when we got to, to Australia, my dad, he completed marine transportation and mechanical engineering. Those two degrees were not recognized. They were not recognized in Australia. And he graduated in one of the top universities. And so he worked a little factory, got 20K a year and raised um, the three kids. I'm in the middle. Now... Fast track to me being four years old, I remember my mum was cooking spaghetti in our little apartment and I would collect empty tissue boxes and toilet paper rolls and I would just make robots and cities or whatever I could, you know, with my imagination. And she, she stopped cooking one time as she was cooking spaghetti. I can almost smell the memory. And she said, Ram, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know, mum, I just want to make stuff. And she stopped she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, Ram, whatever you want to be, make sure you dream big. Make sure you dream much, much bigger. And so I was really led with a mum who just encouraged me to try and to go for it. She gave me the permission to explore. Now, primary school was not that great for me. I was bullied quite badly. I had my arm broken three times and had 16 stitches before the age of 11. I was the shortest in primary school. We get to high school and I'm the second shortest. I was never the smartest, never the most athletic, certainly, you know, never the most social. I was always in the friend zone <laughs> and I was never the most financially wealthy either, but I didn't ever feel poor necessarily. Where I did find my confidence was in design. Now, I knew at a young age that design was going to be for me because it was the only sort of career path that was available as a commercialized artistry. And I wanted to go to this particular college called Billy Blue. It's um, a top tier college in Australia for design. But at the time it was like 45K and my parents couldn't even afford a fraction of that. So I, I, I applied for scholarships. I managed to get one at some no-name brand college. I finished that and luckily I did get that scholarship to, to study design and, and, and I completed that and I got the opportunity to work at Ogilvy. Now, the role was in the mailroom. I took that role and I thought that was the greatest thing ever. But a lot of people, including my lecturers and teachers said, why are you doing that? You're better than that. And I just had th things differently in my perspective to a lot of people in that I saw the currency of getting my foot in the door, number one, meeting, number two, meeting people in the industry established, which did end up launching my entire career, 350 people within four levels. Um, and back then they had some of the biggest accounts, uh, Pizza Hut, um, KFC, Coca-Cola, you know, and, and so I was exposed. Now, I worked my way through and I really wanted to just ensure that I was coming from a place of continual learning and curiosity. Now, fast track to Giant Thinkers, which is the brand that I'd built over the last uh, 10 years. 
I reached a point in my career where I started to feel a bit empty and I couldn't, I didn't know what it was, but I knew that there was something more for me than just designing for car brands or financial institutions. I really felt an emptiness, a feeling of existential crisis in my mid-20s at the time. So I started writing a blog, just helping people to get a job, designers, emerging designers to get a job. Within the first week, two weeks, no one was reading it. My mum and my sister confirmed by Google Analytics. But three months in, it got picked up by How Magazine, Communication Arts, and then eventually AIGA. And now I've got family in LA, so I go there often, or I used to anyway, (laughs) um, before the pandemic. And the American Institute of Design in New York invited me to visit them and have a meeting with them. So there I am giving them Tim Tams and, um, and they just wanted a serious meeting. And the, the, the president of AIGA sitting on these grand red chairs looking over Madison Square Garden, bit of a dream moment for me. He asked me, how are you engaging with an audience that we're struggling to engage with? What is your strategy? And I said, oh, mate, I don't have a strategy. I'm just writing to my younger self. And he said, well, do you want to write for us? So I had my own column, the whole thing. I got exposure to a very large network. I come home to Australia and I think, wow, maybe there's something in this. So I continue writing. But I figured, you know, how can I present something that's an extension of the blog or a step up from it? So I wrote my first book. I finished the manuscript in nine months and then I, pr- I approached 20 different publishers and sponsors and you know what? They all rejected me. They said, there's not really a market for this. You know, one even said, uh, we don't feel that you're qualified to, to write about this, even though I'd already established myself in the industry at that point. So I could either stop or keep going. I ended up self-publishing. AIGA found out and they said, you know that we've got 72 chapters across America. Why don't we host you for a speaking tour? You can you can choose any city that you want. And I kind of was shocked by that, but I went with it. Mind you, I'm not a formally trained writer, okay? I'm not a formally trained speaker at that point either. And I ended up just saying yes to all these opportunities. So I, I do 20, 22 cities across America in three months in 2014. I even end up speaking at Herman Miller and speaking to them about creativity in the Australian lens and and coming from that perspective. I was even invited to speak at Creative Live. Now, Creative Live, for those that don't know, started by Chase Jarvis. Um, It's the world's largest online learning platform in real time. And it's had on the likes of um, Ariana Huffington, Tim Ferriss. Um, It's had on Brene Brown. a whole bunch of people, um, Nobel Prize winners. And so for me to be on there to to, to teach and create content was, it, this was happening very, very quickly. But again, it just started from, from me really coming from a place of, of helping people. And so I'm speaking on Creative Live and then my producer after the first segment says, and, and imagine five cameras in your face, little studio audience. And he said, Ram, you d- you've done a great first segment. Um, We've just checked the stats. There's over 10,000 people that are watching you live right now. I don't know how that looks like in a physical space, but you know, for me, that was this was all happening um, because I wanted to really make sure that I'm, I was true to the the purpose of helping my younger self, creating material and guidance for people who didn't have that. And so I I come back home. And 
hadn't seen my family, my parents, anyone for th- over three months. Mum, mum's there at the airport. And first thing she says to me is, how does it feel, Ram? How does it feel to climb up that mountain? And I said, feels pretty good, mum. And she said, we'll make sure you come back down and share to everyone what you found. And, and I feel that everyone needs someone like that, you know, a mentor, a coach, uh, a family member or someone that really is out, out to, like my mom, keep your head in the clouds, sure, but keep your feet on the ground. And so I'll fast forward to a few other key moments and I'll, I'll end with a few key points here. Um, but I then started to get other opportunities from that. And I want to really share this point that everything has been very incremental I don't think that anyone ever arrives. The people that we praise in public have spent decades practicing their craft in private. And so Apple called me, flagship store in Sydney. They said, we want you to speak about anything you want. The place was packed out. So I started to build the brand through um, brand partnerships like that. I started launched the podcast, Sarah, Sarah mentioned there, and it really took, took uh, traction to a whole other level. Um, and the access that I've had to people and you can listen to that you know there's a whole bunch of stories as with any other podcast but the most interesting thing is Billy Blue remember how I said that college that I couldn't afford to go to that my parents couldn't take me to they called me up and said Ram we've just seen everything you've done in the states and and what you what you're doing in the industry and we want you to deliver the commencement speech you can watch it. It's it's online. It's on YouTube. Just type in my name, Billy Blue, or, or type in commencement speech. But that is that was a pinch me moment because I didn't even graduate there. And they wanted me to be inspiring the kids that graduated and ensuring that there's confidence in the career path for the parents with which their, their, their children are about, about to embark on in their um, young adult life. Is just one of those pinch me moments. So I want to represent possibility. My my last role, as Sarah said, was head of digital design at Saatchi and Saatchi. Um, and then I was design director at DDB. But, you know, all of this came at a price that there's always a cost. The immensity of our goals has to be matched by the intensity of our actions. Now, on the on the financial wealth side, I was pretty smart with that too. But only because I had people and I asked questions you know, I bought my first property at 26, my second at 29, my third at 32, and that continues. So here it is. This is a wonderful quote by the Dalai Lama. If you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. <laughs> I love it. You know, even the most seemingly insignificant beings can make quite a difference to someone. Everyone you come into contact with gives you an opportunity to make a difference. So I'm going to list seven quick things to really tie the, the ends of this. Number one, you need to have a willingness to explore. That has to come from you. Number two, you need to have the curiosity to try. If you haven't watched Ken Robinson's TED Talk, who sadly passed away last year, uh, he, he delivers a wonderful TED Talk about creativity. There was one story that resonated with me. He said that there was a girl who was restless in, in drawing class. She was six years old, but one day she wasn't teacher walked over she was drawing in a concentrated manner she said what are you drawing she said to her teacher i'm gonna um i'm drawing a a a picture of god and then she the teacher said well how no one knows what god looks like and then she said well they will in a minute (laughs) and so the point ken was making was that 
as kids, they're not afraid to try. They're not afraid to be wrong. And so we need to have that curiosity again. If, if you've lost it, you've got to find it. Number three, persistence trumps circumstance. And don't dig up seeds as soon as you plant them. We've got to play the long game here. Number four, people over profit. Because if the purpose isn't there, then the product doesn't matter. Number five, double down on strengths, on your strengths. You may have heard me say this before in other rooms, that a fish would be a terrible tree climber. Don't compare yourself to others. There's something in you that only you can deliver. Number six of seven here, choose your hard. Again, not an, not, not an original concept by any means, but this is certainly something I've kept in the back of my mind. Choose your hard. Why? Because it is hard to live in poverty. Yes. But it's also hard to run a million dollar business and be responsible for 50 plus employees. It's hard to be obese, but it's also hard to be a world-class athlete. And number seven, specific lessons will repeat themselves until we learn them. Calm waters make poor sailors. Exposure and conditioning is, is the key there. Now, we might climb up that ladder of success only to realize that it's leaning against the wrong wall. And that's why I really hone in on, you know, what is your definition of success? When I get asked that question during Q&A, when I've, sp I've spoken all around the world, that is the number one question that I get. What is your definition of success? And my current working answer is still how well I go to sleep at night because I've had a little and I've had a lot and I've had everything in between. But if you are not sleeping well at night, something within you isn't aligned. So you have to go down your own truth barrel. If not now, then when? If not you, then who? Right? It's that. Because even though it may seem like it's all been done before, it hasn't been done by you. Thank you so much. That's me. And I'd love to open up any Q&A. I think we've got uh, five or six minutes. Ram, this is Sarah. I'll just jump in and say I love that story you were just telling when you said um, the teacher said to the child, no one knows what God looks like. And the child said they're about to. That's incredible. Like thinking about like where does that confidence go? I feel like that's going to sit with me today. I like that a lot. And I'm just super grateful um, for you and for your segment today. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorites as well. <laughs> and and that's not to say, if you haven't watched it, it's the Ken Robinson famous TED Talk, one of the most um, watched of all time. But one of the things he emphasized was that he's not saying that being wrong equals being highly creative. No, he's, it's, he's suggesting that um, we need to not be afraid to be wrong. And, and when we talk about wealth and wisdom of wealth and, and the wellness that surrounds us achieving that, we have to go back to being willing to explore. And that's why I put that as the number one. And then the number two being the curiosity to try. Ram, it's uh, Pete Cohen here with the golden duck on his head. I just want you to, to know I've heard you speak many times and I've had the, the fortune of working with you using your mind to help me in my business and i just want you to know that hearing you speak today i just hear you speak with such authenticity and such passion and i loved what you just said there by the way about going to sleep at night um thank you so much i'm, I'm gonna remember that my friend this is your friend coming at you from the united kingdom big love my friend you're brilliant mate <laughs> thanks pete love you and i love the golden duck um, yeah, I, you know, I, I appreciate you so much. 
you know, one of the key things is, is for me is, is making sure that you understand that, that, the, that when I said that I was in the mail room, I was literally scrubbing shit. Like if I had to, you know, I had to change light bulbs too. I had to order the printer toner, the paper. I, I was a fly on the wall, you know. I, no one knew me. You know, I had to know their names to deliver their mail. But we have to understand that there is there, these seeds that we plant. So you just saw Pete say that. I mean, I, I'm flattered by that. that. You know, we're connecting with so many people. You know, I, I feel so much love from from so many here from the app because we don't know how it's going to blossom, you know, and it only takes one person or one deal to change your life, you know, and, and to be able to have, you know, let, let's get really practical here. I didn't know about real estate. I didn't know about shares or stock market or other areas of diversifying my income. I was just a designer. I, I studied graphic design too. It just so happens that, that that discipline has helped me become uh, an, an expansion of uh, to expand into other disciplines. But it's the people. The people are the currency and also the, the person that we're becoming. You know, I know that there's so many of these rooms about this, but when I say, and I'm going to bring it back to the idea at the beginning, that being rich doesn't necessarily mean being wealthy. You don't want to be the richest person in the grave. Being wealthy could mean acquiring internal treasures for external change. And when I talk about external change, it's funny. You know, everyone wants to change the world somehow. But are we willing to change ourselves? Because the wealth accumulation is indeed in the overcoming. And that every time we overcome, we get another coin. We get another coin of the patience, resilience, the humility, the creativity, the courage, the generosity. You heard my story. I could have, I could have given up at any point of that journey. I could have. And it's easy. It's easy not to be an entrepreneur. It's easy not to start something. It's easy not to invest in your idea. It's easy not to wake up early in the morning. It's easy not to catch the last train home, which I'd done for so long. It's easy but we can't complain if we don't have what others have and we don't have it. That immensity of our goals has to be matched by the intensity of our actions. Let the actions do the speaking. Ram, this is Monica in the turquoise circle. Good morning. Hey, Monica. I love you, first of all, all of a sudden. I've never met you before, but I love you. Number two, Ken Robinson, wonderful reference, and Tim Tams, double points for Tim Tams. But what you made me think of when you said overcoming, when we're born, I just did a call on this yesterday. It was so awesome timing. When we're born, we don't have any of the things that we struggle with as adults. We don't have the beliefs and the, the, the habits and, and uh, all the things that we need to overcome, as you said. Because when you look at a child, a child who's learning to walk doesn't fall down a few times and say, ah, screw it, I'm just going to stay down here. They just don't. It's everything we have to persist through difficulty is innate in us. And every time we overcome, I loved what you said, we get a coin. And every time we get a coin, that moves us closer to uncovering all the things that we were innately born with that we've lost, forgotten, or have gotten covered up. And so thank you so much for refreshing that concept and helping me to articulate that for myself this morning. Thank you so much for being here. This is Monica. 
Yeah, you're most welcome, Monica. I know I'm out of time, but I'll just quickly respond to that, Monica, because it's top of mind. I had a bittersweet moment last week. It was um, the anniversary of my wife and I, uh, third wedding anniversary. And then yet on the same day, found out that my mum's cousin passed away from COVID in the Philippines at the age of 41. And then also my dad's sister passed away uh, suddenly, not even COVID related. Um, And then also I had to make a decision on a particular business deal that if I committed to um, would have been a five-year commitment. I'd have to invest quite a substantial amount of money up front. But the roadmap was that we would sell at 20 mil was the plan. But something wasn't right with this particular business, potential business partner. And what this person valued was very much about the bottom line. I thought that it wasn't the case, but it was niggling there. And and by the end it was because we had built up a team of, of people and I cared about people and culture and that the people will, will turn into, uh, you know, loyal, highly competent workers um, that we can rely on. But long and the short of it is he ended up, I didn't do the deal with him and he ended up firing so many people when I parted. And the messages that I got from all those other people was like, you know, we want to go where you go. <laughs> where are you going then? You know, what kind of, do you need me? Do you need my services? And one of them wrote a really heartwarming message and she just said that you believed in me. You gave me a chance when no one else could. I've been looking for work for so long. And I only responded to her saying, I gave you a chance because I saw myself in you and because someone else gave me a chance. And now that I've given you a chance, I know that you're going to pay that forward. This is what it is. So yeah, big love everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, dear Giants. I am incredibly grateful that you've spent this time tuning in to this special episode after my one-year hiatus. If you're enjoying these episodes, one massive way that helps keep the podcast going is leaving an iTunes review. Please head to giantthinkers.com slash podcast review. I read and appreciate every single one and it helps get the show in front of more people who may need these stories and insights from our world-class guests. Now a little teaser for our next guest. She is an Australian comedian, writer, TV and movie actor and Dancing with the Stars Australia 2020 winner. She's in fact the first comedian I've interviewed on the show and has brought so much joy and laughter to millions of households. Subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app, iTunes, Spotify or others and you'll be notified when this goes live next week. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, The Giant Thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I mentioned earlier, and I love this from the Dalai Lama, who said, If you think you are too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs>